Hello and welcome back to Take 97, the film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, we will be enjoying some festive holiday cheer as I walk you through a quick film review and discussion of a film that I have seen recently as of the recording of this episode for the Christmas season, brand new Christmas film featuring a legendary Christmas figure, the one, the only the man in the red, Santa Claus himself. And this episode shall be delving into review of said film in just a moment, as well as a top five of my favourite Santa Claus films, or at least my favourite portrayals of the big man himself. And we shall be looking at that later in the episode and just giving everyone a general shout out and a few little bits of holiday tidbits and little tips for what to watch on the big day. So here we are. The episode is all about a film called Violent Night. Now, Violent Night is a 2022 film starring David Harbour as the legendary figure Santa Claus himself. And basically, most people would assume you wouldn't really think there's anything more to learn about Santa Claus. There's been so many portrayals, and yeah, I've picked five for my top five Santas of film at least up to this day and there's been so many different versions of him he's been be they big roles or small roles i have some mentions and horrible mentions here and there as well but the film violent night it really takes a new twist on the whole santa story uh, in a way i mean it's one version of it and also it shows santa in a completely different light uh, very much like another film which i will mention in a moment did try to do as well to divert itself away from the traditional stereotype of a happy jolly man and his Mrs. Claus and all his happy elves and everything's all really good and shiny and squeaky clean at the North Pole. But the episode today we focus on this film Violent Night. Now as you can tell by the title, Violent Night isn't exactly a film that is very kid-friendly considering it's got Santa Claus in it and it does actually feature a young child actor in the mix as well but we don't actually get that you know we get a sense of warm fuzziness that most people would be used to in a Santa based film but this film it really sort of looks at Santa in a different light you get that melancholic fuzzy Christmas feeling but at the same time you also get this badass Santa uh, and I don't mean bad Santa like the film bad Santa which literally shows Santa in a very not negative light but a different light compared to the usual depiction that we see of the big red man but this case we get to see David Harbour who most people know David Harbour will recognize him from the hit Netflix series Stranger Things as police chief Hopper and he literally brings his all to this role. And like, if there's anything you love about Hopper from Stranger Things, this is going to prove that he is a very versatile actor, not just because, you know, he can throw a good punch and do all these cool action stunts and such, but he's also very warm and fuzzy in the center, which he does for Stranger Things. But I feel like it's more relevant for this aspect of the story then shall we say because santa is a mythical figure that we all know and love because santa is a figure that we all know and love and we you know we idolize him ultimately as the symbol of christmas uh obviously that's up for debate as to where the image of santa originated and all the different stories this film actually 
depicts actually a little sort of rundown before we get into the story of the film. We actually see little flashbacks. We don't get too much detail about the actual backstory of this version of Santa, but all we know is that he's been around for at least like hundreds of years now. He's been through many, many forms and guises because he goes through and lists his name to when he's being interrogated by the bad guys in this film. All his different aliases, you know, Chris Kringle, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, all of those different names are being mentioned. And he is, you know, slates himself as being around for hundreds of years throughout human history. And we go all the way back to the Vikings and we get these little flashbacks to him being shown as a Viking warrior. And that is what, uh, we don't know what his name was prior to being Santa Claus, but he was a Viking warrior uh, and he's been married to Mrs. Claus for 1,100 years or something to that effect. And he literally is a completely different version of Santa. Like we've seen a drunken version of Santa before. Like we get that elements of that in Bad Santa and, you know, some comedy sidelines in like little cheeky comedy sketches. But I think at the same time, this one really shows, you know, Santa does his job. He loves being at the North Pole, doing all of the work that he traditionally does and is shown as doing but this one he's you know we open the film uh, with a brilliant opening sequence which I think is really nice you know it opens up on a snowy street in Bristol and we go to a pub so we go to a British pub in England in Bristol and we see David Harbour Santa Claus downing a couple of pints of whatever Tipoli is drinking at the time. I think it's some beer or some sort of lager of some description, but he's having a good old drink in a pub and then a shop Santa, like a like a department store Santa or whatever you want to call him, uh, one a fellow Santa comes along and put, props himself against the bar and goes, well, how long have you been doing this? And the immortal line, which is used in the trailer, is I've been doing this since the very beginning or... I started the whole damn thing. <laughs> and it's, you know, obviously you know he's the real Santa because we're introduced to that, that he is meant to be Santa. Or if you went into this blind, you'd think that he was mad, but obviously you then do get the surprise and the excitement of him being the real Santa and the reveal when he goes up onto the roof. The landlady thinks he's absolutely drunk out of his mind and he's going to top himself off the top of the roof. Of, but then she sees that he's flown away on his sleigh and I just think it's a great opening really to be honest really it's quite you know simple and safe but it's really nice because you get to see that sense of Santa mixing and mingling with humankind and getting generally irritated with the way that the modern world has affected the traditional magic of Christmas and it literally culminates this end scene before he leaves the pub itself and goes off to be Santa and do the rest of his work on Christmas Eve uh, after he finishes his drinks in Bristol. It culminates in him having a basically a mini rant to the barmaid and, or, well, the landlady and the other Santa, the shop Santa that's a human dressed as Santa Claus who just experiences this meltdown where he's like, they're just so engrossed in their technology. I just don't get it. And it's literally such a lovely, you know, it it brings the modern world into the world of the film and, you know, the difficulties of the magic of Christmas as tradition has held it in its hearts for many, many years 
previous to this and the meeting of you know magic and old tradition versus new age technology and the way the modern world has adapted and moved forward or moved backwards in some respects and you know the lack of human connection in some areas and aspects of the way christmas works now and you know it this has been touched on recently in the santa clauses disney plus spin-off tv show or six-part miniseries then that is on disney plus which follows more of the adventures of tim allen's santa claus from the santa claus movies uh, from originating in 1994 and the struggles that you know a modern world has and the mixture of you know traditional christmas magic and what people want and don't want in this new age of going forward in the world and technology developing so it's nice to sort of hit that nail on the head but it not feel too forced and it's a little story point of his frustration with the world and then we move on and we generally get the idea of what david harbour's santa is actually like and you know he's a very grumpy santa but he still has that essence of heart and spirit in every fiber of his being and i just think it's a very nice little touch as he you know drunkenly swans off up to the roof and then flies away with his sleigh and all his reindeer i just think it's a lovely little moment and the opening sequence the way it's shot as well it's brilliantly shot you know the christmas lights the snow and the way the pubs all lit it's very dark and very british in that respect but it's glossy in the sense that it's I don't know, glossy but not glossy at the same time. I'll get more onto the cinematography and the look and feel of this film later in the episode. But for now, let's focus on the story. So the basic points of this, this film is actually summed up by many critics and reviewers, and I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and agree with them, that Violent Night is a film that is basically Die Hard meets Home Alone. And by that I mean the Die Hard part of this is there is a hostage scenario and... There's obviously a hero, an action hero, who comes in to save the day and save the hostages and, you know, beat the bad guys, essentially. You know, instead of a Nakatomi building and John McClane and the inevitable devil that is Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, in the original Die Hard film, we have the character of Mr. Scrooge, which isn't his real name, but that's his code name for his this operation. He's known as Mr. Scrooge, played by the amazing John Leguizamo. I think that's how you say his name, John Leguizamo. I hope I've said that. If I've said it wrong, I do apologise. Um, but he's been in quite a few like different action movies and stuff. And the thing about Violent Night is it's brought to you by the producers of Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, and those kind of action movies. And it's got that essence of violence and you know there's a lot of blood and gore and violent you know it's only a 15 it's not an 18 but it's quite gory and violent in some places so you know to see santa a childhood figure for most beating the absolute hell into these thieves and these you know hostage keepers it's just very weird refreshing and slightly interesting but also very cool at the same time but i'll get back to more of the details later we have this Mr. Scrooge as the main antagonist, uh, and he's got his own squad of, like, minions, like mer ex-mercenaries, mercenaries who come together and work for him to obtain this $300 million fortune that is being sat on by the 
Lightstone family, or more specifically the character of Gertrude Lightstone, played by Beverly D'Angelo. And she's the head of this family. They're in this giant, massive, rich mansion, which has got its own gate and security. And we see the family gather together for Christmas. They don't particularly like each other. We After we see Santa fly away, we go across to Michigan, and we see the character of Jason Lightstone meeting up with his, with his well, currently ex-wife, they're a mum and dad unit because they have a daughter called Trudy Lightstone. So there's Linda, the mum, and they aren't on really good terms, but they're sticking it out for the kid. They come together at Christmas and they go over to Jason's overbearing mother, Gertrude Lightstone. And there's several jokes and stuff establishing the family setup. And the there's a drunken sister who is in the mix who's obsessed with trying to get one over on Jason and be the favourite child, etc. Uh, her son is very, you know, he's a Instagram, TikTok influencer, whatever he is, but he's basically, throughout the film, he's one of the jokey foils of the film where he is constantly going, hashtag this, hashtag that, you know, very 21st century. Uh, but we don't get too much of that, so it's so it's just enough to make it funny, but without going overboard and over the top. So, uh, and his name is Bertrude, or Bertie Lightstone, because uh, all of the kids apparently have to be named after the mother figure, the matriarch of this family, Gertrude Lightstone. Uh, but basically, you know, Mr. Scrooge and his many mercenaries, who are all got code names in the light of the Christmas spirit. So he's Mr. Scrooge. Uh, we've also got characters such as Gingerbread, Sugar Plum, Candy Cane, uh, Frosty, Trampus, uh, all of these different names that are used for the different mercenaries who are under Mr. Scrooge's command. Uh, they all go after this big $300 million fortune that is being sat on in a vault in this mansion. And that's the sort of the premise, really. We have a family Christmas in this rich setting. And in a way, Mr. Scrooge is meant to be rising up against the rich people and taking on these, you know, kind of, I don't know, I suppose he sees himself as a bit of a Robin Hood kind of character in a way, with a bit more guns and violence. Uh, but this film, you know, that's the diehard side of it. It's a hostage scenario. And, you know, you think, oh, who's going to save them? They're in the middle of nowhere, no contact with the outside world. They even kill the security man at the beginning of the of the, of the gate. Um, he was such a nice character. They did the classic thing where they introduced a really lovable, nice character right at the beginning of the you know segment where we get introduced to the family and everything. And he's such a lovely man. And then he gets killed by Mr. Scrooge so that he doesn't alert anyone to the outside world. Uh, but that's the sort of diehard side of things. And obviously all the action and violence that happens later as we go through the plot but then we have santa who's just doing his rounds as the usual mythical magical being uh, where he's delivering presents to all the boys and girls of the world and he appears by magic and the somehow you know he basically we learn that santa's basically an alcoholic in this version <laughs> he's an alcoholic uh, very much a fan of looking through everyone's liquor cabinets he you know people put milk out and um, he even turns his nose up at this uh, milk that's semi-skimmed. He's like, oh, God, how dare you? And then he goes, oh, the good stuff. And he goes straight for the booze. Don't even know how he manages to ride the sleigh in his condition, but he does. And then he takes a sit down. He sort of semi-falls asleep. And when guns start firing, 
attention is brought to him and one of the operatives find Santa. He's I'm just here to do my job, I don't want to get involved, and then he ends up getting involved, obviously, and impaling one of the mercenaries, basically pushing him out the window, and Santa ends up on the floor next to it, but the other guy ends up being soaked, like he falls with his back down onto a big icicle spike, which we did see him look at earlier and think, that's a bit sharp. And that was a nice little nod to say something else is coming later in the film. <laughs> and then it all sort of starts from there. At one point he does get away, even though he sort of gets interrogated later on in the film and he gets dragged back. But then he eventually escapes and he goes, oh, how do I get involved? And then this is where earlier in the film we get introduced to you know, Trudy Lightstone. She's given a radio, a little walkie-talkie by her dad, as you know, making out that it's a hotline to Santa when it isn't but it's a hotline to Santa Claus because she didn't get the experience of being taken to a department store Santa Claus like they do every single year. So her and her dad usually do that, but he didn't do that this year. So he get gets her a walkie-talkie and says, oh, Santa can hear you. He's very busy. He won't reply, but he can hear you. And it turns out when he's trying to find a frequency old Santa to try and get hold of someone because during the altercation with the mercenary that he kills, the reindeer fly away and he can't get, he needs to sort of call someone because he's getting a bit more drawn into it because he needs to get hold of someone to sort out the hostage situation. Uh, his attention has been brought to this through the walkie talkie and he ends up talking to Trudy and him and Trudy sort of become quite close pals and Trudy uses a few choice swear words here and there and you know, references to and human anatomy <laughs> it's like we're gonna kick their butts but a little bit more x-rated and it's funny to hear it come out of like a nine-year-old's voice it's very weird uh, and then we see him basically say you know he's doing it for christmas he's doing this for trudy and he ends up you know we have a heart-to-heart -heart scene i think you know we see the warmth of santa but then we see the anguish of santa claus and that is the general gist of it, I think, you know, the diehard part is the hostage situation, which I enjoy very much. But then you've got the classic Christmas feelings, you know, if you watch something like the Polar Express or like the tender moments in Home Alone, you get to experience this warmth of a classic Christmas tale. Now, the Home Alone part of this, obviously, um, we get direct references to Trudy in the beginning saying, oh, I've watched a film. It's Home Alone. It's really good. Uh, you know, this kid, he sets all these booby traps for these burglars who try and break into his house. And eventually, these references are directly offset into the film because Trudy sets her own versions inspired by Home Alone, the film. Uh, Home Alone inspired traps where you get to see her put uh, a nail on a ladder and a ladder where the guy, I think it's um, Krampus, avoids stepping on the nail but steps on the step that's like half broken so it breaks so he falls down and he's his throat is like his jaw goes straight into it and the nail stuck through his mouth it's really horrible and gory but it's really good i have to say the cgi isn't you know all cgi of that kind of stuff can look a bit iffy sometimes but i don't think it was actually that bad in this case it was actually fairly okay not like terrible but at the same time it wasn't like ultra realistic or ultra brilliant but i think the bloody effects and the gory moments weren't actually too bad at all they were very convincing 
at least, you know, to get in the zone and enjoy the film. Uh, but, you know, Home Alone-style traps, there's also bits where they step on, like, light bulbs and stuff, like Christmas lights, all sorts of... And also getting um, stuck to the floor with, like, glue and such. It was a really good homage to the antics of the original Home Alone and even the bits in Home Alone 2 as well. So, you know, there's direct references to Home Alone and then, obviously, Santa comes into the mix and we learn about his Viking heritage and he ends up beating the bad guys up and literally crushing them with this big, massive hammer. <laughs> and it shows a different side to Santa, as I said before, but it's a because it, we've seen drunken Santa, we've seen warm-hearted, very cheerfully-spirited Santa, sarcastic Santa, unwilling to be Santa Santa. You know, we've seen all these different variations, but I don't think we've ever quite seen a Santa who likes to beat people up and crush them to death with blunt instruments, etc. I think it's a very interesting move to go with. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, Santa saves this family, mainly for the girl's sake than anything. You know, he's not in it for the money or anything like that, but he ends up making it his crusade to basically take out all of these bad guys who have held Trudy and her family hostage because they all apparently happen to be on his naughty list. And then... um. A little fun fact as well, you know, we add a little bit more to the plot as well, is that Gertrude's Kill Squad, they are, um, a little spoiler alert here for you as well, spoilers ahead, because I've described some of it, you can probably guess from the trailer, that's the general gist, but spoilers from now on if you haven't seen the film, you have been warned. Um, but Gertrude's Kill Squad, they turn out to be bad guys, and they seem to be in league with Mr. Scrooge, and they, you know, they might be the ones to come and save Gertrude in her head, but they actually turn on her. And they all want a little piece of the money in the action. And um, there's a bit of misunderstanding with where the money is in the vault. And all sorts of shenanigans whilst Santa is trying to work out how to get around beating these guys up and saving Trudy and the family. I just think that ultimately though, the film diehard sections, you know, they're enjoyable. They're basic action stuff. But I think the action's quite funny as well. Like it's shocking, but it makes you laugh. At the same time, that's the best kind. So it's action, dark, black, action comedy kind of. We, we see these moments where, you know, people get beaten up and you go, oh, that must have hurt. But then you also feel like it's kind of makes you laugh at the same time. It's a very strange sort of feeling, uh, but it's very entertaining to say the least. Not that I enjoy watching people getting bludgeoned to death, but I think it's because you've got someone portraying Santa Claus, who's not a nice, happy, jolly guy usually, who in this case is obsessed with a good bit of alcohol and beating up these people because they're all on his naughty list. I just think it's a brilliant combination of dark comedy, action and suspense, but also, you know, warmth when it's mixed into the right places. Um, but yeah, so like, like I said, spoilers more, the Kill Squad are in on it and then... There's an even better bit. He has this little scroll that goes, oh my God, Trudy, they're all on my naughty list. <laughs> and I just love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, it. It's from start to finish, it's a brilliant film and it's paced very well. Like it's, I think it's an hour and 45 minutes, maybe just under two hours, I think, altogether, if you don't include the credits. Uh, but it's a really enjoyable film from start to finish. I genuinely think David Harbour embodies everything that you should get from a Santa Claus. And... There's a nice, I think I'll move on now, so I won't tell you too much about the ending because I want you guys to find out what happens, but something dramatic happens to Santa and we 
may or may not see the end of him but that's just a tease for you you have to watch the film to find out but the thing that the things that i love that so i love mr scrooge the character he's a great sort of basic villain but he's the best kind of villain to head this kind of story very simple you know hates christmas because of an experience he had as a child and he didn't get something as a child and also because you know um it christmas is a time linked to how uh, a member of his family has died you know is a tragic backstory and that links him or should i say anchors him to the reason why he hates christmas so much and obviously santa tries to find the goodness in his heart to try and turn him around but it doesn't work because he's permanently on the naughty list obviously uh, but then we got other highlights character highlights david harbour is just the main one i think the character of trudy trudy lightstone she's played by a young actress uh leah brady i think her name is uh she is literally so good so funny so witty and just you know really what you want from a child star in one of these films like all the best christmas films with santas in them have their little young child stars who play opposite them the character of trudy is just one of many like for instance you go to a miracle on 34th street there's either the original one from 1947 or for instance the one i know the most which is the mara wilson version so richard Attenborough in the 1994 version of a miracle on 34th street is a great partnership between a young girl who believes in santa or wants to believe in santa and the real santa uh, and then you know you get the likes of um i mean you get it with the tim allen one with various younger characters but not as much but it's usually like with his son for instance so it's for a different perspective you see the santa claus vision and all those kind of things uh, so i feel like to appreciate the santa claus portrayal you have to have a younger character to really truly see santa as a magical being whereas if we just put santa with no kids around and it was just a story about how he stumbled into a house that does have a kid as a resident there he's doing his deliveries and then he just does all this violent action stuff it wouldn't have meant as much as it did in the end uh, because you know the connection between he, him and trudy is something purely so unique with the character of santa claus and we get this unique touch because he is a warm-hearted guy you know he seems like a drunken disorderly who doesn't really care anymore but then one of my favorite scenes is when he's on the radio or the walkie-talkie to Trudy and he's talking about why he started out doing this how he stays so happy and in love with Mrs Claus over the over a thousand years that he's been with her and where he started and it's nice to see a man that's idolized by such a young crowd and a young age set come out and say you know I wasn't a good man always but now I'm idolized by many as this great figure that you know brings joy and comfort and kindness and means something in that respect to a entire generation and generations to come before and after of children you know um and the fact that he's there and accepts that he has flaws is a very three-dimensional thing you know he's not just oh i'm santa claus i'm very happy and jolly like some portrayals you just see santa that's him end of but i think this is a very well-rounded performance of santa claus in this aspect of the film um but yeah i uh i just think honestly it's the opening sequence where he's in the pub it's a really nice 
easy opener, really funny, really good. Uh, the heartwarming moment between him and Trudy, where they bond, and then when they finally meet is really nice as well. The initial taking over of the mansion is very stereotypical, you know, bad guy takes over the area that he wants. It's, you know, not complex at all, but it gets to the point. It doesn't drag too much. And that's why I'd say the whole film was paced very well. Even when we slow down a little bit, it's paced incredibly well because it could be so boring. Like I, another film I've watched recently is the 2022 Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell film called Spirited. Now that's a musical. Now because it's like an actual stage musical in some respects, it goes from song to song very quickly, very easily, but it does feel like it's two hours and it does feel like two hours. Whereas this is under two hours, but it feels a lot less. It goes very quickly. So uh, props to the script writing team and the director for the work on this film because it flows very nicely. Other highlights, I'd say there's the character of um, Morgan Steele, the boyfriend of the sister of Jason. He He's a wannabe action star and he's just constantly making jokes about how he's, well, not even jokes, serious comments about how he's going to be an action movie star and he wants to do big films and he wants his mother potential mother-in-law to invest in a film and that's the christmas present he gives her <laughs> there's one bit where they literally turn around and say oh before you die what was the present you were going to give the mother of the household so what were you going to give gertrude and it was going to be a suggestion for an investment in a film that he's come up with <laughs> i just think it's just bizarre and very weird but yeah honestly it's a interesting um, character. It's very stupid as well. Traditionally stupid and very the foil and the ploy of the entire film. He's just a really stupid character. But at the end of the day, he's useful for extra comedy along with Bertrude as well, who's like the classic 21st century influencer. Uh, and also the drunken mother slash wife <laughs> partner as well. Uh, they're an interesting unit. But yeah, Morgan Steele, the way he just runs out, goes out the window and he's really, you know, like a proper action movie star. He finally achieves what he wants to do. And then um, he, he gets to a bit of a sticky moment, shall we say, but I won't spoil it too much for you guys. You can watch it and find out what happens to Morgan Steele. I feel like Morgan Steele, it doesn't even sound like a real person, an action movie star's name. It feels like the name of an actual action character it was like irony playing on irony in a way but i enjoyed his moments he was good for like comic relief and mr scrooge was a convincing villain with great anguish in him as well uh, gertrude is an interesting play by beverly d'angelo she's very i can't remember what she's been from but i've seen her face in something else and i genuinely can't remember what it's from but it'll come back to me tomorrow or whenever i next look at the credits list for it but i really am invested in the fact that she's just a stone-cold hearted bitch <laughs> she really is uh, and then the other thing i'd like to point out as well so i love the heart to heart moment with santa and trudy the opening sequence as well character of morgan Steele as a little comedy ploy as well is great with a great villain as well in mr scrooge then i also would like to point out the actual action sequences where santa absolutely loses his like crap and just beats the hell out of these people like it might seem senseless by the way i'm describing it but it has purpose and um it's just with great meaning that he does this for the sake of this young girl who just wants her mum and dad to be back together for christmas um but yeah 
you can find out what happens about that in a minute. I'm going to move on now to the next part of this episode, and that is going to be discussing, as I mentioned earlier, the cinematography of and the look of Violent Night, because it's an interesting one to look at, and I know I say interesting about a lot of things, but this, hear me out on this one, the look and feel of Violent Night is very... It's very independent then. It looks like an independent, low-budget feature film, but at the same time it has enough sort of upmarket gloss to make it appear very blockbuster-worthy and, you know, big enough to say, hey, this is a big studio production from Universal Pictures. What are you going to do about it? Uh, And literally, the film... I don't know, it looks sort of rough around the edges, but also glossy enough to be like, hey, there was a lot of money spent on this film. And I think it's a very well shot film because there's lots of like nice artsy looking shots as well as some basic interesting you know sequences which you know anyone could do even on a low independent budget so you know you have all the violent actions which anyone who knows how to direct action or do anything like that do in a low budget or a high budget scene i just think that the the beginning sequence so to highlight my favorite bits shall I say, of cinematography value then. The opening sequence in the Bristol pub, the interior of this bar is really nice. Like, it's very warm, but dark and cosy and dingy all in one go. And then the look of it was, you know, you've got Christmas lights there. We open up with a scene of, like, the snow outside and we go to the bar and then we see this shot of this hand with this glass and it's shot very well, to be honest with you, and it feels very homely and inviting. And you get that same effect when you get to the more luxurious and very cosy moments within the mansion of the Lightstones house, uh, or mansion, shall I say. And you get into the middle of the film, and it's very sort of cosy and, you know, very cushy then, in a rich person's kind of vibe. But then we go and have a look at the likes of the exteriors, you know, we see the bright lights of the mansion, but we also see, you know, the shed which we close Santa in, where he has that showdown with the majority of the mercenaries and the kill squad at the end of the film in the culmination of the final battle between Santa and the bad guys, and then literally the end of the film. And then we've also got the exteriors in the snow, which look very Nordic in a sense, like Nordic noir, very Norwegian in some respects. You know, the landscapes of the snow and the woods and everything. And then we have a the cabin that's set on fire as well towards the end, where we have a bit more of a confrontation between Santa and Mr. Scrooge head to head. But And it's very co- cold and cool in terms of its colour palette, so very blue and dark. Uh, and it contrasts nicely with the fact that Santa's wearing red, obviously, as tradition would have it. So we then get a nice extra warmth when we do see Santa in a more warm setting. So when he's talking to Trudy on the walkie-talkie system, he feels very natural and at home in that in, ha- in that habitat. That is the cosy room of, you know, a rich mansion opening sequence in the pub it's like his natural habitat and he feels very at home because of the red it's warm bright color but then we see the color of the blood against the snow it contrasts you know the purity of the christmas season and you know some of the origins of christmas as well through different versions of the story and then you have the bloody violence that is 
it was sort of melded into it. This red is tainting. The red is tainting the feel of the season and just making it more violent and more sort of dark then, shall we say. And so I just love the lighting effect that I used in this to convey the contrast between the dark and light and all that sort of stuff there as well. So it was brilliantly shot. Uh, but it does, like I said, have a bit of an independent feel to it, but also at the same time it does have that upmarket blockbuster gloss that you get from a brand like Universal Studios or you know, 20th Century Studios or Disney or anything like that. So I think from a cinematography perspective, it's a very well-shot film. Uh, the flashback sequences that we briefly get of David Harbour pre-Santa Claus as a Viking warrior, it kind of reminds me, not totally of Zack Snyder, but it reminds me of very much of the gladiator side of things and the interpretations of a warrior that zoned in on one thing and one thing only and that's the kill so i think the way it's shot has influenced the feel of it and also because it's shot so well and the way the story has been written and the scripting of the entire plot it just flows really nice so that's my last comment about it so, you know brilliant performances by david harbour and also beverly d'angelo uh, John Leguizamo, and also the brilliant Leah Brady as the child star of this film. I think genuinely she was better than the guy, uh, what's his name, Alex Hassel, who plays her father, Jason Lightstone. Like, he was a bit of a wimp. Uh, but I think that, you know, Leah does a brilliant job, and her and David Harbour have a definite Santa, uh, you know, child Santa connection there, very much in the same sense that Mara Wilson had with her Santa of Richard Attenborough in A Miracle on 34th Street. In A Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. So I, I just love the performances by the cast. It's a very simple plot of bad guy versus good guy, bit of magic in the mix there, and how he's able to tell you know, who people are and know what people wanted for every Christmas over the years. He's imbued with so much knowledge and life essence that he's been able to live for so long that I think it's just a brilliant way to sort of sum up Christmas, really, and also it's a different take. Uh, and I would rate this personally five out of five stars. I know it sounds really over the top to say it, but it was an enjoyable film. It had plenty of laughs. There was blood and gore and beatings from the action perspective. Simple, effective plot, very straight to the point, and I very much enjoyed it from start to finish. When I saw it on the big screen as well, I couldn't have imagined it any other way as a first viewing experience. It was a very good film to watch in the cinema. I enjoyed it very much, and it was just amazing. That's all I can say. Brilliantly shot, great performances throughout, and David Harbour, once again, has proven that he can be a brilliant tour de force. You know, I've seen him in Stranger Things, uh, in Black Widow as well, and now this, and he's just an action star of the maker. I think he is the new, like the new Arnold Schwarzenegger slash, well, I don't really know, but, you know, someone of that calibre just without the funny voice <laughs> but he's just a brilliant actor and i can't wait to see what more he can bring to the table in the world of cinema high-end television etc and yeah i'm just really excited to see what happens with david harbour and yeah five out of five stars to this not so silent night but very violent night uh, <laughs> um, but the next thing I want to now touch on now, I've sort of concluded my review on the film and my discussions and talking about what the plot's about and what I like and don't like, and there's not much I don't like, but I would like to now do 
since this is the Christmas episode, I'm going to do a little roundup of some Christmas bits. And I've got a top five list of my five favourite Santa Claus actors. Now, one of them I've kind of given away already, as you can probably tell. Uh, but I'm going to go in reverse order, so from number five to number one. So, number five, I do like... Sort of tied, really, so uh, I'll do some honourable mentions in a minute. But at number five, I like Ed Asner, uh, who was in the 2003 film Elf. Uh, you know, a simple portrayal of Santa, but a very good one nonetheless. Uh, and, you know, he was, you know, on the screen very fleetingly but briefly in places. He wasn't the main centre of attention, unlike, you know, Will Ferrell's Buddy the Elf. And I think it was a very, you know, simple bog-standard portrayal i'd say he was tied with dudley moore for me in santa claus the movie uh thing so that would be an interesting way to look at it that way uh, but then number four it's a very small very brief version of santa claus but i think the animation style and how much i love the film adds to this you know spot on the list and that is tom hanks as santa in the Polar Express, because really, although the animation does most of it for him, his voice and the way he does Santa Claus has got such gravitas with it. You kind of wish that there was more Santa, but you feel like he is Santa. He sounds very grand and very, you know, he's nothing compared to the likes of, you know, David Harbour in Violent Night, or even like the old man in, in Elf as Ed Asner's version, um, or even the lovingly warm-hearted and Christmas spirit-filled version that I'm going to put at number three, and that's from the 1994 film A Miracle on 34th Street, Richard Attenborough. As I've mentioned it already, him and Mara Wilson are just a great pair, and the story itself is a very emotional one. It brings Santa into the real world, very much in the same way that Santa is brought into the real world with Violet Knight, uh, and also in my top pick because the thing is Ed Asner is in Elf and it's sort of partially linked into the real world and obviously you know Richard Attenborough is imbued with you know the court drama just like the original version of the Miracle on 34th Street in 1947 was you know Tom Hanks's version is very mystical it's very much all about the North Pole he doesn't leave the North Pole we don't really see anything of him outside of the North Pole other than the presence uh, but the next one uh, you know, then we got, you know, David Harbour who's imbued in this moment. He doesn't like to get involved, but then he gets involved. Uh, and uh, because he's such a badass Santa, and I love the film so much, David Harbour has actually taken my second place in Violent Night, the 2022 film, as my second place Santa. Now, before, yeah, he's just got all the warmth and the cheer of Christmas, but so much coolness behind it. So I just love it. Uh, so I don't need to say any more about David Harbour because that's what the episode said already and i've already talked about it a lot honorable mentions i love sandy claus the stop motion animated version of santa from a nightmare before christmas as everyone will know from fans of that film uh, and i also do love a little bit of um the santa portrayals even though they're not real santas but they're all the many santas that are in jingle all the way who are like fake department store santas who are all running a secret scheme sideline thing on the side that are just dodgy people in general <laughs> trading in fake toys etc i just think they're a funny portrayal of santa uh, and then i also would like to give a shout out to the likes of kurt russell in the recent uh well I'll say fairly recent in the past few years the two christmas chronicle films now whilst i don't think that the films are brilliant 
I think that he is truly like he looks the part and I feel that his portrayal of Santa is very you know he seems very Santa like then and I enjoy seeing him visually as a Santa Claus and he's got all the tropes of it but the films themselves I'm not a big fan of they're okay but I wouldn't go back to them 24-7. My number one pick for Santa, and I've said this on another episode before, and it links back to my episode that I did in 2021, and that is Tim Allen's version of the Santa Claus. So Scott Calvin, who then becomes Santa, and we recently had a bit of an expansion, as I mentioned before. I purely recommend and really do recommend people watch the Santa Clauses mini-series of six episodes there's actually going to be a second season now apparently as well it's on disney plus only six episodes they're only like half an hour long as well 35 minutes they're really i mean if it was a film it'd be very anticlimactic but i feel because it was a mini-series it was okay there could have been a bit more from that but it was a very good show and um, it's got lots of nuggets and stuff relating to the actual films but the films themselves the santa claus 1994 and then the sequels Santa Claus 2 and then 3, The Escape Clause, all brilliantly world-building based films and I just think that Scott Calvin really captures the magic of Christmas. The Tim Allen Santa Claus will always be at its heart my Santa Claus because I grew up with him, you know, not just because he was the voice of Buzz Lightyear but he genuinely was to me the Santa Claus. That's the film I watched which had Santa in and I knew him as the jolly fat man. It comes around every Christmas time, so you know. But David Harbour is a very close second as the new badass Santa is my new favourite, to be honest with you. So Ed Asner at number five, Tom Hanks, Richard Attenborough, David Harbour, and then topping it off with Tim Allen, uh, with a few honourable mentions here and there. I just love them. But yeah, that's all I have to say about this film. And other things to point out, you know, the Disney Plus series, The Santa Clauses, I recommend that. Other films to watch over Christmas... Uh, Disenchanted on Disney Plus as well is a good magical film if you enjoyed Enchanted, its first film. Uh, watch that over the Christmas period. I know Knives Out, well, Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery, the sequel to Knives Out, the Ryan Johnson Detective Benoit Blanc series, those ones, uh, the second one of those. Uh, as of the recording of this, I think as this episode is going out, it should be on Netflix now, so you should be able to watch that straight away. You should be able to watch that straight away. And, um, you know, anyone who was lucky enough to see it in the cinema, I applaud you. I tried to find a cinema near me to watch the film, and I failed massively because of the fact that it was showing in no cinemas relatively close to me. And any ones that I could get to, couldn't get to because of, obviously, the way life works, work getting in the way and everything. But... I'll have to enjoy it from the comfort of my own home, my own sofa, and watch this cosy crime uh, detective fiction that's going to be taking place. It's all, from the trailers, it looks very much like a sort of, a little bit like Death on the Nile, in a way. It reminds me of Death on the Nile, but a little bit more modern, uh, but with a different twist. Then. It's still a whodunit, but yeah, Glass Onion, Knives Out Mysteries on Netflix, Disenchanted as well. Also, I know it's not Christmas, but if anyone hasn't watched uh, the Hocus Pocus 2, then you should watch that as well. And other Christmas favourites, just go back to my other Christmas episodes from the past two years and check out my conversation with Gov Chandran and also my episode on the Santa Claus films, the trilogy, and just watch the series, the films, Jingle All The Way, Nightmare Before Christmas, and both Home Alone 1 and 2, but 
my favourite being Home Alone 2. You should always watch those every year. I cannot stress to you enough how much that I am excited for the holiday season, and I'm just glad to bring you this episode, this bumperish episode of me just rambling on about all sorts of things that I could recommend you. Um, there will be one more episode to end 2022, and that is my annual film review, the Take 97 film review that I do every single year. So I started off since the podcast began, and that is going to be called Take 97 Film Podcast Film 2022. And that'll be the last episode of this year, which will send us into the new year. Uh, the new year, I will be doing some episodes where, which will backdate and review films that I've seen in the end of this year. But I will also be looking ahead to some new films and content as well. Uh, things that I've just happened to get around to watching and only just got the time to record and talk about. Uh, but I'm excited to bring you an, another bumper episode around the new year mark and talk to you all about my favorite films that i have watched through 2022 including films that i have reviewed already on individual episodes and just giving you an overview of what i've enjoyed and loved and just rounding up some of the best bits and notable moments in film and cinema and tv history that we've experienced over this past year in this 2022 chapter of entertainment viewing that's all I've got to say on this episode of Take 97, a film podcast, but I'd just like to conclude really with a um, Merry Christmas, and uh, I'll wish you a Happy New Year once more on the next episode of the podcast, but for now, that's a wrap on Take 97, the Violet Night Review Edition of the podcast, and a Merry Christmas to you all at home, and I hope you have a great time, and I'll wish you a Happy New Year once again very soon, as I see you in film... 2022. Thank you for listening, guys. Merry Christmas, and see you later.